Hey there, it's Ben. I'm wanting to give a quick shout out to our latest Patreon backer, AJ. You can be like them at patreon.com slash the Hydean Way. Thank you, and now on to the show. Uh, Ben? Have I always been able to conjure fireballs? You know, I, I only ask because otherwise I feel like this should really be hurting my hand a lot Wait, more. Uh, if you can do that, maybe I can do something weird. I look out the glass window and onto the park. I outstretch my arms, concentrating completely. Ooh, me next. I lift my hands in front of me and a blue tinge transparent field pops into life in front of me. This looks promising. Hey, David, try throwing that fireball at me. Welcome to an experimental tale from the Hydean Way. We're your hosts, Christine Chester. Bing Yandel. And David Pickering. This week we're talking about Fantasy Flight Games' new-ish system called Genesis. And for all of our listeners, I'm generally assuming that you have played, or at least looked over the rules for these Fantasy Flight Games' Star Wars game. Genesis is amazingly like that, on account of it uses the same dice mechanics. They've got new pretty pictures on the dice, but eh, the dice are the same. Odds are the same. They don't have a forced die. And magic is much different. Yes, as well as some other things, but the core mechanics are identical. I'd be interested to see how the magic works. Actually, Ben, you had a really good analogy for how magic works in this. Why don't we go ahead and start there? This came out of one of their previews, and it sort of held true for the style of it in the game. To cast magic, you have a skill. And it's arcane, divine, primal, I think is where their third one is. That's your power behind it. You've got your ranking, so that's your training on trying to control it. The thing that's sort of showing up for it, you're essentially crafting a spell. And the difficulty is entirely based on what you're trying to do with a spell. There's an average spell that is the average thing that you're doing. So you're trying to do a fireball that hits one person. Pretty close to the old magic missile in D&D, just with the numbers falled off. Okay. So it's going to do a small amount of damage to one person in... In this case, you're wanting to see, does something go wrong? Does something go really right? Because, well, we've got the advantage, threat, critical, and despair stuff, so things can go funny. In the end, it works out to much more of a quick crafting role than anything. You're essentially crafting the magic spell that you're hurling at someone. Which is really cool, I think, because if you get those advantages, well, maybe that magic missile hits a second target that was nearby. Or maybe if you generated some threat you're going to get a little bit burned off of it, too. It reminds me a bit of, like, magic in Shadowrun. Okay. Okay. Where there is that chance for for failure, where something could go drastically wrong, and that's the catch. You don't have spell slots like D&D or the limited resources that this could just go horribly wrong. You could fail the spell and despair it if the GM, you know, darksided or something, and uh, things did not go well for you at all. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds good. I mean, I, I'm always a big magic fan of whatever I'm playing, so. <laughs> the thing that I'm liking about having a magic system like that and routinely using a magic system like that is that it demystifies crafting. I think that they have a fairly good mechanic for crafting. Like, roll a skill, increase based on what craziness you're trying to do with it. Uh, for example, in the magic, you're able to add one die to do fire damage, add one die to do ice damage. So now you could do 
one of those kind of cool spells where you're doing fire and ice damage at the same time. Just really messing with their temperature extremes and doing extra damage because of it, but it's a harder spell to do. (laughs) And so you get to decide, how much of a risk are you taking here? I'm actually really happy with the magic rolls, and I'm glad that they don't feel like the Force at all, that they didn't reuse the Force die, because that felt so Star Wars to me, and this does not. To this, it feels like there's a lot of craft to it. As you're going into a game, you're going to have set spells or set spell types that you're going to always be doing. Mm -hmm. But you're also going to have additional effect table. Like, you can always go back to and say, oh, well, we've done this. I've got three advantage. What can I do with three advantage? Mm -hmm. To me, I really like that. Really opening up the advantage and threat aspect of it. It, To me, that's nice. I like that it makes it not as precise as, say, D&D. I can't remember the specific circumstances, but I know it's come up numerous times where, for the narrative, say... The wizard character firing a fireball shouldn't be super accurate and, you know, should have a chance to hit an ally, but the rules in D&D don't support that. The fireball lands where you point it and that's that, then it's up to saves. And you're kind of a jerk if you do catch your buddy in it unless they agree. With this, that could occur. That could just be a factor of, oh, so I succeeded, but I got four or five threat and so the GM decides that blast is a lot wider than you wanted it to be. David, yes. do you have any questions regarding the magic that we could perhaps expand upon? So, like, you said it was a little bit more like the Shadowrun magic, but, like, in flavor, do they have, like, set spells? Or is it more like the Force where it's like they have some more generalized options? I would say that, it is, like, they do have sort of spell types, Like, am I trying to conjure this? Am I trying to attack? Am I trying to do a healing spell? But specifically within, they've got a lot of options. Like, say I'm trying to conjure, it's an average check. And then from there, it's what am I trying to do with it? Am I trying to conjure a small box? Am I trying to create a doppelganger? Am I trying to project a doppelganger across the planet? All of these are possibilities, but... Um, where do they go into into that, Ben? On... 217, they've got, like, additional summons, medium size, like, upping things, summon allies. My first thing to say about Genesis, the core book, is that it is there to be modified by the players and the GM. It is running on the sort of base engine of Star Wars, but this is so wide open in comparison. In comparison to several options, Star Wars is a fairly open game. It has some structure there so that you've got, like, classes in that. Genesis as it sits is an amazingly open game. It's a toolbox. Exactly. Which, I mean, seems like the uh, intention. It's not a very big book. I mean, it's not even clocking in at 250 (laughs) pages. There were a lot of sections that seemed very bare bone from what I was expecting, but for a toolbox, it's perfect. Yeah. It gives examples. It gives some ideas to get you thinking. And... From there, you know, you get to go craft what you want to do. If you want a crunchier magic system, then build it. Everything in the book is essentially an example. Yeah. At the time of this recording, they've announced a setting book, which is their runebound world setting. Yes. Runebound? I don't know what that means. It's off of a card game, I believe. Descent is a part of it. It's also um, the setting for Legacy of Dragonholt. The... Right, that one too. 
the relatively recent like narrative kind of board game slash choose your own adventure. Okay, that makes sense. I'm only really familiar with it through Dragonhold. And it's got a lot of your kind of standard fantasy fare. The main differences, as I've seen, being that orcs are a very prominent race. There are cat folk, and magic is done through runes, which you have different abilities and stuff like that. So you can't just like weave magic, from my understanding, out of like thin air. You need implements. The runebound sort of world is the world that Fantasy Flight Games was using for all medieval type fantasy setting. Mm hmm. They didn't really develop as a role-playing game or miniatures game while they were aligned with Games Workshop, but now that that license has fallen through, they're re-upping what they're going for. And in this case, it's like you've got the board game Battle Lore, which was, it's like Memoir 44, but with magic. Mm. (laughs) For all intents and purposes. The Genesis setting book is called Realms of Terranoth. This book, I'm not seeing a page count on it, but the price they're asking for is 10 bucks more American than the Genesis Core book. So this is going to be in the 300, 400 page realm, probably somewhere between three and four. Yeah. One of the things that has been absolutely promised is dragons. Excellent. (laughs) In the Genesis Core book, there's sort of three big sections. One is, this is how you make a character. And this is how I make the character and run the game in the Genesis system instead of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. The second section is, these are a bunch of sample settings to get your toe wet to sort of make it so that you want to play in it more. One of the ones they've got in there is Roombound, but they're coming out with a several hundred page book that is going to have setting and all that sort of stuff to it. This is a grand total of... Uh, six pages. Yeah. <laughs> so it's got like a quick little write-up on things, and then you've got a expanding your mind. Like, whether you've done Legacy of Dragonhold. When I saw Genesis, my first thought was, oh, hey, this is the way to play Shadowrun without memorizing a bunch of calculus. <laughs> well, speaking of Shadowrun, you know the other setting that is out there that is almost exactly like Shadowrun, just doesn't have magic in it? I was going to say, Netrunner is the other one. I actually have been jonesing for a good Netrunner RPG, but that may not be what you're talking about, so I'm just assuming. Well, technically I'm talking the Android universe, but yes, we're talking the same thing. Yes. Any Fantasy Flight Games-owned IP, pretty much, has a setting section in here. They do have a section for modern RPGs, as in, like, nowadays times, where they've got a bit of equipment, just examples But their science fiction setting, as opposed to the space opera, is Android. And they've got a few ideas. They've got archetypes in there of, am I playing a clone or am I playing a biodroid? So we're probably going to get that as a setting book, just a matter of when. (laughs) Oh, I hope so. And then you graft on the magic system. And you've got Shadowrun. (laughs) Exactly. One of the things that you can take from the provided example setting sets is... You can see what they're wanting to have as, well, what's your baseline ranged heavy weapon? It's going to be doing roughly 10 points of damage, like a Stormtrooper blaster rifle. You can reskin a lot of those things pretty easily. The nice part about it is is that you get an idea on what FFG is considering equivalent between. And there's even nice little balances that make sense. Like I know for fantasy, like a longsword does more straight up damage <laughs> than say a um like an addition to your brawn than say a vibro sword might but it doesn't have pierce because it's a normal sword 
And so they, they balance things pretty well. Can I nitpick? Let me just hit on the one other section that hasn't been mentioned yet. Okay. And that's sort of their customization section. Like, you've got these settings, which are great. Like, some of them are... Say I'm going to play in the Twilight Imperium setting. They've got some basic ideas in there. Setting specific adversaries for the Twilight Imperium universe, which kind of cool. And then you get into a section that's a good 70-ish pages long. They've got a section in here on customizing the rules to your own taste, a section on alternate rules, and some advice on trying to build an adventure. It's in this alternate rules that you start finding some of these things. Like, this is where you find your modifications for weapons that so many people in Star Wars just ignore. You've got <laughs> the magic rules. You have superhero rules, which is also cool. And it's also got all the fun things like pilot-specific rules for all of your spaceship combat. Say, all of your hacking rules, because, well, we've got Android in here. If you don't go deeper into the hacking rules, what's the point? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. On crafting an adventure, they've got ideas on how to do, like, mysteries and romances and whatnot. Oh, well, as part of that, they have the themes, which I really like. Yes, the tones. Yes. Where they have, you know, ways to customize, you know, a given story where, like, I know under horror, uh, there's, like, the fear rules that we're familiar with for Star Wars, or there's a whole subset of rules for, say, playing a superpowered character for the superhero genre. When they're looking at the fear rules, you're not looking at just the Star Wars ones. You're looking at more of a Cthulhu-esque fear rules. So you've got lingering traumas as well. And the potential to go insane. <laughs> as all good fear systems should. Mm -hmm. So when compared with the Star Wars RPG, how does it compare on... Like, Star Wars is a game where loot is not seemingly super important. Like, gear is pretty flat in terms of scaling like it's not like you start at the beginning and you get a blaster pistol then if you're still using that blaster pistol six or seven sessions in there doing something wrong whereas like dnd or pathfinder you really should be trading up your gear as quickly as possible for magical stuff like where does it lie on that kind of bent i actually don't know the answer to this i don't know if there's enchanted items in here i was opening up my book to try to find out but because i don't recall seeing anything like that yeah i haven't seen enchantments in the core book. I would assume that they're going to be in the Runebound book, since that's going to expand their magic in several different ways. The enchantments could easily be used like augmentations from Star Wars. Yeah, that's probably the easiest way to do it with what we know now. Actually, here's something, because here's magic armor is in here. Okay. And yeah, all, an old magic plate is versus plate armor is it has an extra point of defense and one less encumbrance. So not that different from, say, the superior quality. Okay, so yeah, I, I kind of like that. I was going to say, it sounds like it's not crazy complicated. And I don't think it would go too far in that direction, because that's not like the narrative dice really isn't built for that. Yeah, I mean, the, the, like, on the one hand, I think the, the flexibility of D&D &D is that there are rules for everything. And I think on the other hand, the frustrating part of D&D &D is that there are rules for everything. And then there's Shadowrun. If a player's like, oh, I want to do this. It's like, all right, well, hang on. Let me figure out how that works and how that interacts with this. And, you know, in Star Wars, you're just like, oh, roll a die. Yeah, and I, I kind of like that because, like, there's a very easy way you can do this. Say you have a normal longsword versus a what would be like a plus one flaming sword from Pathfinder or something. 
all the difference might be is maybe that enchanted sword has the burn quality or has a point of accurate to represent that plus one equivalent or whatever. It doesn't make the normal sword useless, as might happen in like D&D and stuff, if, say, something has damage resistance unless you have a magic weapon or something. It's more that you have this item with this one extra thing, and that makes it cool. That's something a little different that makes it stand apart. That makes sense. It's not like, oh, well, these has, you know, this trigger condition and this many charges and this is how you recharge it. And, you know, I I think it's a good balance. You can do that in here. Yes, it was a healing thing in it was a healing thing in the steampunk setting. That was the one that I really remember. It was very much like stim packs, but it also had like you did a resilience check to make sure that didn't have a negative effect on you. To me, that was kind of a cooler thing on account of, hey, look, it's this weird alchemical tonic that you're taking. Does this work? Doesn't it work? Who knows? It fits well with the steampunk setting when technology is at that forefront. I just also like that the steampunk setting as presented has werewolves, but without actually going out of their way saying werewolves. (laughs) (laughs) And having, I want to say like a Frankenstein-esque character, but they're also kind of done- Revenants. Yes, revenants. They're really just like undead. They're kind of zombies. Kind of, but like high-functioning zombies. It was one truly unique setting to the Genesis core book that I hadn't seen anywhere else. Mm Like their like World War Cthulhu esque thing is their Tannhauser setting. They don't actually have a Cthulhu thing in there because I don't know. Is Lovecraft might be in that weird Disney bracket, and licensing might need to apply. It's weird. I think all of Lovecraft's characters, like Cthulhu and them, th- those are public domain. But there's just some weirdness <laughs> regarding, as I understand it, stuff that was added to the mythos by things other than H.P. Lovecraft's characters themselves. So, like, a lot of the stuff surrounding H.P. Lovecraft is owned by, say, like, Chaosium, or people who wrote the RPG, or the authors who added to the Cthulhu mythos later might be able to lay claim to some of it. It's just unclear, as I understand There's it. also some cool kind of magic items in the weird war setting. So, I'm noticing here you have, like, a vest that once per encounter you can get, you can boost your defense. You have an unholy tome <laughs> that grants you successes, but on despairs people attack you. And a warding icon that disorients supernatural creatures if they get engaged with you. So there are there are plenty of examples here. The amount of examples in there are amazing. For the setting type stuff, Christine, David, do you have anything more that you're really wanting to explore with that? Like, David, questions? I mean, I have questions, but I'm sure that most of them could just be answered by getting a copy of the book. <laughs> wow. Ask, because some of those might be interesting things that can get teased out. Well, I mean, my question, because it's... It's got a lot of options for settings. It's got a lot of um, ways to build on it, but it doesn't sound like it has a whole lot of like, you know, pull it out of the box and play this setting kind of thing, which is not what it's intended for, obviously. Though. But just how flexible do you think it is? Like, could I could I conceivably do like modern urban fantasy in it? Or could I do kind of a weird West sort of thing with it? And would it it hold up if it's not exactly this sci-fi thing that they've got it set up for? It sounds like. Oh, yeah. Okay. Both of those would be so easy. If you put in the the work for it, they present all the tools here where it just becomes layering, like Ben had talked about with how do you get to Shadowrun? You take the cyberpunk setting, you layer magic on top of it. How do you get to Weird West? Well, we don't have a Western setting, 
but steampunk's kind of in the right vein. Yeah. Try, and yeah. so you could grab that and then again, slap on the magic setting. You already have the revenants and werewolves from the steampunk setting and you're good to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you're right. This is how like- I run the persona RPG. <laughs> um, so, Whoa. so it's not that hard to go in any of those directions. There is one thing I would do, though, or, or perhaps caution if you're going to create a setting like that, which is to go through the careers provided, pick out the ones you want to use, maybe make up a few more, because they, they have a good list of careers, but they are trying to cover all of your bases. Character creation in this has my one huge complaint, and that is, after playing Star Wars, this feels XP poor. It is, because you there's no specializations, so you don't have specialization skills. You have your- No, there's no specializations at all. It's just- Nope, you just have careers. You start off with a career and that's it. And so there's no other way to gain new career skills as a result. The careers are, if you don't expand upon them, have their limitations. Like for the Heroes Genesis episode, I wanted a character with piloting skill. I had w- one option- the fighter pilot out of book and that did not quite fit i kind of just made it work well does it include tools for building your own specs it it does but like when we ran it straight out of the box we didn't well that's not a hundred percent true leslie did end up running a special investigator class which i'm just gonna throw up in the notes for this episode okay i didn't know that i figured you would have grabbed um something on there with perception skill nothing fit for an investigator so i just created one Mm mm-hmm to explain how it is that easy, a career in this is eight skills. That's it. Yeah. It's just your career skill list. You get to choose four of those to have your class skills, just like in Star Wars. You don't get the two extra for the specialization. Yeah. You get your four class skills. That's a start. In this, it's called archetype experience. The nice part is, is you've got four different archetypes for a human. It more democratizes what is there, which is kind of nice because that way, hey, look, I'm a laborer. I'm going to get into combat. Oh, the first time you try and shoot me, it does a single point of strain to me instead of anything interesting mm-hmm. by using a story point. Okay. I do feel like the archetype special abilities are more powerful than what we see in Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Considering the average human archetype base power is, I flip a story point from the GM pool to the player pool. Can I complain about that? I don't like how they did story points. I don't like that the GM only gets one point at start and that any average human can take it away from them. It was played for laughs for us, but I I don't like the way that was balanced out. (laughs) The way story points are given out is every player gets a point. One player is a GM, therefore there is one GM point. Without introducing something like a force die, it's a very even way of doing it. The trick then for the GM becomes, well, I'm just going to have to amp up the difficulty to force people to use their story points. And since everyone is running around with like 100 XP to start, or as we started the game with on Heroes, it was 150 because I went with their advanced character ideas. Yeah. Yeah, their idea of advanced character is a lot less than Star Wars. And it still worked out pretty well for us, but I know, and this this is probably just my bias because I've played and run Star Wars so much, but I would prefer the players to have a little more XP and me a few more dark side points. (laughs) If I was running a pure pulp game, I would probably just amp up the amount of experience everyone gets. Mm -hmm. 
like get an extra 50 experience where, hey, look, you can toss that into abilities as well or what have you. The thing that I like about having it so starved is any of the situations where you're looking to start off power negative, it's a lot easier for that. True. Because you are a lot weaker. True. And if you're trying to emulate your kind of Call of Cthulhu feel, it's not that hard to get there. Or these four random people who show up and then through their experiences become something. Mm -hmm. But you're definitely in this game doing an adventure or two as the origin. Right. I feel like if I were to do this, I would have to come up with some way to supplement career skills. <laughs> because I already feel like if you just have the just the base careers from Star Wars, you have some pretty significant gaps. Even if you have like a couple characters who are specialized in the wrong things, you have some weird skill gaps, like a party that has no capability of talking to anyone coherently. You can still buy cross-class skills, which is... But with the usual penalty. Yes. So, like, I know I've given thought to crafting or adapting a setting with Genesis, and that's one of those things of, I'd actually want to sit down and maybe not craft specializations per se, but do something like that. Get it to where people can get a few more skills, even if it's not at start, as sort of a training thing. One of the other options, I'm not a thousand percent in there because I'm just, I don't really want to go through and read while we're recording, but one of the easy variations is having a five-point talent. Well, I wouldn't make it that perhaps that cheap, though. Because then I think it would be too easy to grab everything because of the way talents work in this. There's nothing stopping you from buying the same talent multiple times. I kind of like the way the talents are set up. It really forces you to get a lot of low-level talents to get high-level talents. And it has a pyramid effect. If you want a tier 2 talent, you must have two tier 1s. If you want a tier 3, you must have two tier 2s, which means you need to have three tier 1s. And if you want to get that tier five talent, you have to have your two tier fours, your three tier threes, your four tier twos, and five tier ones. So it turns into this talent pyramid, as they say. And I like that. The way they did the talents is interesting because you are just pulling from this list. And so on like the flip side from kind of the career situation, you have amazing flexibility with talents. Mm-hmm. where you can grab all sorts of different things. And some of them are more generic, like Knack for it is kind of like all the setback-removing talents we're familiar with yeah. from Star Wars. So if you're playing, you know, a socialite, but you want to have, you know, this hidden talent for, you know, you're a you know, really good <laughs> driver or something, there's no reason you can't grab Knack for it that way. Okay, that makes some sense. Like, with Knack for it, you choose two skills and... It's one skill, but you remove two setback dice from it. And then if you take it again because it's a ranked talent, oh, you then get two. Yeah, I didn't notice that. That's awesome. And like in Star Wars, there's a couple that aren't ranked. Like, jump up. Because well, why would you take jump up twice with no greater effect? Jump up or quick draw or things like that. Yeah, because an improved quick draw should be a higher... Yeah tier thing. And that's one of the other things is that they do still have like field commander, improved field commander and the such, where you have to have the lower tier one to get the higher tier they one. They do. They actually do, and I, I just I forgot about this, but they do have things like tier two talent, basic military training that does grant you three new career skills of athletics, ranged heavy, and resilience. 
So you could build in other talents like that. There is precedent, uh, whether you want to make it a package deal or like the well-rounded talent from Star Wars. And having them as tier two, which means you have to have two level one talents and spend 10 XP. That's where I think I would place it as well, because I that's kind of a sweet spot where you have to keep buying tier one talents if you want to keep expanding there, but it's not so expensive that you can't get there. As I say, I do find it a little on the XP poor side, but I can also see reasons for doing that. I can kind of see how Star Wars is sort of XP high, where characters right out the base can do really amazing things. It's also space opera. Exactly. As opposed to trying to do this low-level hacker, or this level one fighter, which is going to have problems with rats. Yeah. (laughs) Because they always go after rats. Could be snakes. That sort of does cover my single true complaint about Genesis is it's it feels at least to start for a character XP poor but you do get some really amazing things in there that makes sense that if you've only got the careers and I guess if the idea is that you can add on to it then they're assuming you will be able to add ways to get more XP or you'll customize your own specializations or something similar the feeling I get from this book is very much like the feeling I get from like this Savage Worlds core book yeah. Because, yeah, with Savage Worlds, you, you can run anything you want. It's just you got to work at it. Mm-hmm. Or you can buy the Rift setting for Savage Worlds and get everything that you need to run Rifts or the Deadlands to run Deadlands in any of its, what, five, six different genres? Oh, there, there's so many. Because, I mean, I know Deadlands, but, like, Rifts wasn't even on the table back when I was playing Savage Worlds back in the day. Because there's, like, Rippers... There's the Pirates of the Spanish Main, Necessary Evil. They they really mm-hmm. cover covered every genre, and I expect we're going to have a similar kind of spread for Genesis. Well, okay. One of the things I found really cool in Genesis, it's kind of idea zero for any RPG. Point zero is, what are we playing? So you need to find a setting. And are we doing a Cthulhu-based game? Are we doing a Supers game? Are we doing a Weird West type thing? Mm -hmm. What are we doing? And then you can start making up your characters. So if I'm doing... One of the things that they've got in there for skills is... The combat skills, they've kind of got three melee skills. Sort of. They've got it where if you're going to be in a melee-heavy campaign, you've got melee light, melee heavy. So you've got like your long swords and that sort of stuff in melee light, and then you've got like your halberds, great swords, great axes, that sort of stuff in melee heavy. Or if you're in a setting where it doesn't really matter much for melee weapons because you've got guns and laser weapons and all this other stuff, then you just use melee. And vice versa too, where maybe you don't have a lot of a big spread on ranged weapons, ranged light and ranged heavy can condense into just ranged skill. And even for their careers, for their, hey, look, these are the eight skills for your career, such as soldier. The soldier they've got in there is your garrison soldier in a fantasy setting. So they've got melee heavy. They've got riding. They've got specific things for that. Well, say you're doing a far future one, they're going to need a gunnery. They're not going to need the ability to run around with a halberd. Yes. That would be cool. (laughs) But the halberd is the most useful tool in Netrunner. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of those careers do include a note about what do you do if that skill isn't appropriate for the setting? Oh, we'll swap it out for this as a suggestion. 
as you're reading through the Genesis stuff, it's, okay, this is our base idea for what a healer is. Oh, well, this isn't a setting appropriate for something. Well, take a magic skill instead of this other one. Mm-hmm. So you've got your arcane, your divine, your primal, and go from there. Just sort of built into the descriptions of almost everything is the the GM and the players decide during their initial setup of the system, mm-hmm. during their setting prep. Okay, that makes sense. So if you want that urban fantasy feel, then, okay, we're doing the modern setting, but you can use magic. So make sure that you've got your magic skill in there if you need it. And then adjust things around so that it plays nice. Yes, and tweak it from there. Because like, whenever I hear urban fantasy, I think of the Dresden Files. Well, you could easily add in something where, as your magic skill increases, you start having issues with modern-day technology or something. You, you can add in your, your <laughs> feel to your game and and make it your own. Yeah, I like that idea. For the core book... That sort of, it seems to be its mission from the get-go. And it succeeds on that, at least to me. (laughs) Yeah, there's so many options with it. If I was wanting to run a Mass Effect game or a Star Wars game, I'd run the Star Wars system. If I was wanting to run a fantasy system, I'd put the extra work into it at the start and run Genesis. Mm -hmm. Agreed. That makes sense, and that's, I feel like, what I would do, honestly. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting it out on the table more. Because I also know I've started putting thought into how would I run post-apocalyptic with Genesis. Ooh. Uh, Adding in a little bit more, I I say lethality, but really just crits, nastier crits and things like that. (laughs) Being worried about ammunition. So you can get your VATS, like, head explosion, Fallout 3 thing? Uh, Something like that, yeah. Because I was thinking (laughs) about giving, say, like, ranged weapons the vicious quality, kind of like how a lot of melee weapons do. That makes sense. And lower crits. But you have a limited ammo is kind of then the balancing point as as like one direction to take it. Oh, I like that. And that's really, if this book does nothing else, it starts inspiring ideas. You see how things were tweaked from one setting to another and you start going, oh, if I wanted to represent this or get this feel, how would I do it? All the tools are there. It may not be quite as genre-spanning as, say, something like The Strange is, but it also has a lot less paperwork headaches than The Strange. What's The Strange? The Strange is a cipher system setting agnostic thing, where for a cipher system, you've got one of the three or four things that you are. Then you've got your uh, main job. Like, I am the striker, I'm the magic user, I'm the talky person. Mm-hmm. And then you've got your sort of localization for that. Depending on which shard of the strange you're in, that localization can change. It's a really cool idea. I just didn't feel in my place with the strange. With this, I'm not seeing how it's very easily switched between settings for taking, like, your D&D fighter and bringing them into a modern setting. But there's also not a huge amount against that. Really, it's your combat that's going to change. And weird armor and the normal person at a time thing. Oh, I know one other thing we can talk about. The vehicle combat. Uh, Have you taken a look at it? The main thing that jumped out at me for vehicle combat was small things are piloting, big things are operations. Small things are agility, big things are intelligence. Which makes a lot of sense. Um, It's not... They actually changed things out a great deal. One thing that they did that I actually... 
I originally ran FFG this way because I didn't, I, it made sense to me logically. Ships continue to move at their speed. And, and a, until you turn them, they will continue on their set course. So there's no like accelerating and you're sitting still on the map. I worry it might be a little fiddly, but I, I, I like the concept. And difficulty dice for attacks are now governed by range, not by silhouette. Okay. Which just brings it more in line with the, you know, ground combat, which I like because it just makes it simpler. You don't have to learn another set of rules for it. I kind of like both of those changes. And seeing how malleable everything is, I'd probably snag the distance changing one into Star Wars just because it's a simpler way of doing it. Yeah, I think I will too. I think we discussed that actually on the last episode we recorded. <laughs> I understand how the FFG Star Wars starship supposed to be run, but... David, do you have any more questions? Well, you've sufficiently piqued my interest that this is now on my to potentially get list. But the thing is, right now, my like my group has so much on its plate right now. Adding <laughs> adding new RPGs to the stack of ones we want to play is like adding another book to the bedside table. We're adding another game to the Steam library right now. <laughs> the nice part about this, and like the simple way that they get around the adding something to the Steam library, is price. One of the things that I know everyone was complaining about in Star Wars is, well, it's not on drive-thru. You can't legally get a PDF. Right, and that's the Disney thing, isn't it? Yes. It deals with the contract, I'm pretty sure. With this, because it's all FFG-owned IP, it's going on to drive-thru. In fact, it's already there. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that is good. So for half the price, you can get it on drive-thru. And whenever they're doing their sales, you can get it on drive-thru. It's a lot easier to get. And when Terranoth comes out, the setting book for Terranoth is going to be a really interesting one to see how much they put into that. Like, how much to use the Terranoth book do you need the Genesis book? I'm really looking forward to checking that out, both for, for the rules as well as I'm actually interested in seeing what they're going to do with the setting. Because they have their, their chance to take their fantasy kind of IP in, in some slightly different directions that they want to. Okay, I've got a few parting questions. The first one is, David, Christine, what are your mm-hmm. ideas for what you're wanting to run on Genesis if you're to get it to the table? <laughs> well, I, I mentioned already that I would definitely use this to run Shadowrun or Netrunner. Both of those are kind of settings I've wanted to explore, but... With Netrunner, it's that I haven't had a system. Well, actually, let me back up. <laughs> the thing is that the best system up to this point that I've thought to run Netrunner would be Shadowrun. But the problem with that is that I wouldn't run Shadowrun because, like I said, it's way more crunchy than I can feasibly run. I've tried running it with my group. It's too complicated. I get confused. And if the GM doesn't know the rules, it's no fun for anybody. So I would use this to run Netrunner as sort of a a way of getting that cyberpunk urge scratched without having to have an advanced mathematics degree. I'd probably also use it to try and do some urban fantasy stuff. Like the persona thing was mostly a joke because I feel like that's kind of a complicated way to that game is, I think too complicated, but you know, you can make it work. I don't know. I just like the idea of using it to run something a little bit more out there with the fantasy than it is a sort of standard fantasy, something with a little more kind of character to it than just your standard like, ah, I'm a guy who lives in Chicago or a guy who lives in DC and I can cast spells and that that's all of that. You know, it's sort of standard urban fantasy. So I think I would use Genesis to run urban fantasy with a twist. I like that idea. I really do. Yeah, not just the Dresden Files ask, but 
sort of taking it from there. Yeah, and that wasn't a dig at Dresden Files. I actually thought about that after I said Chicago, and I was like, no, because I like Dresden Files, and I love the Dresden Files RPG. It's probably one of the best implementations of fate. There's also other things you can do in Genesis versus what can happen in fate. So, Christine? As I already mentioned, I'm looking to adapt or create or do something with a like post-apocalyptic genre using Genesis, because that is one genre that isn't represented on my RPG shelves at the moment. The other thing I would love to do with this is to run a superhero game, because I actually like how they dealt with the the genre for that, the uh, the theme in terms of how does it affect the the rules. I would actually like to give that a try, and both of those settings would require a good deal of work on my part. But again, this is a toolbox. I'm very much looking forward to trying it out. And just because it's kind of a quick thing, what do you mean by the superhero rules in here? So if part of the superhero tone, they have super characteristics, which what happens is if a, so you might, you know, it's used to represent something like super strength, super intelligence, etc. And if you roll a triumph using that characteristic, you may immediately roll an additional proficiency die. That's the yellow one. And if it generates another triumph, you roll another one, and so on and so forth. Basically, the idea of you can just you can just have something incredibly ridiculous happen if the your if the luck is with you, which I like. And then they also had a rule in here. I actually might just I might even implement into other settings like that PA one of you do double your brawn in like a brawl damage. Because normally fists aren't all that effective in, say, Star Wars. <laughs> and I like that little change because it makes a punch can actually really hurt. That would be fun. Yeah. Uh, Christine, final thoughts? It's a toolbox. You know, make some cool things. Have fun with it. And something else I'm looking forward to seeing is as we're all creating our own settings and genres and ideas in Genesis, share them. Show other people what you're doing. I'm very much looking forward to seeing what other people are going to come up with. And I intend to put out my stuff and see all the different ways people are playing with it. For me, I'm just excited to possibly eventually be getting a Netrunner slash Android setting book. <laughs> uh, that's, that's sort of mine. And David, I'm wanting to give you the last word for something that you like what we've talked of today or something that you're looking forward to. I mean, I think it's actually, this has convinced me that it's got to be one of those ones uh, to look into because it sounds way more interesting than I originally thought. So I'm really looking forward to just the flexibility, the ability to do more than one setting out of one book. <laughs> like I've, I've loved Fate Core. I've loved, I'm, I'm bad at running Fate Core. I'm very bad at it. I don't, it doesn't work. <laughs> I love being a player in a better person's game of Fate Core. <laughs> Because I can play Fate Core, I, I can't run Fate Core. But I've loved the ability with Fate Core to go into all sorts of different settings and do all sorts of different things. And I'm hoping that like Fate Core, we get people who want to write and that FFG lets write setting books or licensing stuff. Because that's, I think, the way that you get a generic system like this. Not generic, but like a, you know, a plug and play system like this to really take off is to prove that it can be flexible. Uh, ben, how do I make the fireballs stop? I throw one away and another one just pops up in my hand. This is distinctly alarming. 
Also, I think I might have set some small, unimportant things on fire. Like me! (laughs) I wave my arms, trying to keep the burning edge of the magical shield away from me. (laughs) David, the answer is not to keep throwing them. (laughs) A very loud thwap rumbles through the building as I see a familiar shape take form. I turn to my companions and I... uh, Wait, what? What are you two doing? Why are you throwing fireballs at Christine? How are you keeping the fire from you? Wait, nope, not now. Just everyone onto the Bogwing. Catch us next time on a magical tale from the Hydean Way. You can find show updates on Twitter at the Hydean Way, and I'm at Deuterium Ice. And I'm at Twelfth Night. That's one two T H Night with a K. I'm at AKA Agent Shades, and we are at thehydeanway.com where you can find previous episodes, links to things we talk about in the show, and our live play podcast, Heroes of the Heidi and Way. Our podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, where you can find more episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us. Drop us a holocom at tales at com. We're also on Facebook as Tales from the Heidi and Way. If you like what we do and want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash the Heidi and Way. Or give us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash the Heidi and Way.